This podcast is created for farmers and powered by Pioneer Agronomy to bring you agronomic insights and proven solutions to fuel forward-thinking farming. Hey there, and welcome to the Pioneer Agronomy Northeast podcast. We are on our 28th episode. This is the week of January 25th. I am Chris Skuse. With me, as always, is Emily Allegar. We are your hosts. Our topic today is all thing forages. Emily, who are our guests? Thanks, Chris. Today, our guests are Jonathan Rotz, Pioneer Field Agronomist, and Bill Mahana, Global Nutritional Sciences Manager. So welcome, guys. Thank you for joining us today. Excited to have you on the podcast. Uh, Jonathan, we'll just jump in and start with you. Would you mind sharing with our listeners a little bit about yourself and your background? Sure thing. So as you said, Jonathan Rotz, field agronomist for Pioneer in South Central and Southeast Pennsylvania. Um, cover an area that I actually grew up in and, and have always largely been involved on the dairy side. So forage is kind of um, naturally fits because of the farms that I'm working with, as well as some of my background. Um, overall, you know, just master's degree from Virginia Tech and been with Pioneer for uh, a little over 10 years. Awesome. Thank you, Jonathan. Yes, big dairy area, good place to get some forage knowledge. Um, Bill, could you share with our listeners a little bit about yourself and your background? Uh, you bet. Even though I'm at uh, Pioneer's headquarters in uh, a little bit north of Des Moines, Iowa, um, I grew up in the Northeast on a dairy in upstate New York, uh, in between Utica and Rome, New York, and uh, went to school back east and uh, came out to the Midwest to go to graduate school at the University of Wisconsin, and uh, was a college professor for about 10 years, and uh, still I'm a college professor at uh, Iowa State University, um, but I have been with Pioneer leading the global nutritional sciences effort going on 34 years. So if you start to do the math and add up all those numbers, kind of an old guy. <laughs> we won't do the math. Don't worry, Bill. <laughs> it's great to have you guys. You both bring a lot of knowledge. We're excited to have you with us today. Um, I think forage is a very good topic to be talking about with our growers here in the Northeast. All right. Excited to talk about forages today. But before we get to forages, we always like to start off with a section we call the odd and unexplained where we asked our agronomists to tell us something that they've seen recently or something in the field that might be rare or a little bit different or something they'd like to uh, mention for uh, all of our growers out there. Jonathan, do you have anything like that? Sure do, Chris. And actually, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to divert us right back to the forages topic a little bit because uh, what's interesting is this fall, um, as we wrapped up forage harvest, started getting all of our results and stuff back, I I had a lot of producers calling me up and asking me a question um, about the difference between BMR and conventional uh, corn silage varieties. A lot of this came from them, again, getting nutritional samples back from the lab and looking at digestibilities and, and saying, you know, what, what's going on here? And so two things that I look at that, that have kind of explained this. So one thing is there's, there's a fair amount of guys that will compare you know, last year's BMR to this year's. And, you know, for a lot of our area, we had a tremendous amount of drought this year. And drought, especially during the vegetative stage, tends to boost that uh, NDF number. And along with that, so it's, it's kind of hard to look year to year and decide, hey, is, is this really um, working? The other side is uh, we do have some really good conventional options out there that have, you know, very good 
digestibilities and and we've learned how to position these well on some dairy farms so i think when it really came down to the conversation a lot of it came down to what does their operation look like and how can they manage those forages you know um some of these guys were smaller operations and they didn't have the have the ability to really segment out their bmrs and feed them to individual groups and so it was more of this whole on-farm feeding you know maybe even heifers and stuff were getting bmrs and that's probably not the most cost effective thing for for that dairy um whereas you know for these guys that can use it as an individual ingredient and i'm sure bill probably hit on some of this kind of stuff maybe that makes a lot more sense so again it was it was interesting because it was just multiple producers over a period of a month that kept on hitting me up with this and i found it a really interesting little insight into what's going on in some of their minds when they think about the forages space yeah that's a great thing to bring up when we looked at the uh, drought maps or the weather maps from this past year it was much of the state of pennsylvania was in a, a pretty severe drought there and and that will definitely uh affect everything growing that uh that's a very good point to bring up all right, now we'll move on to our main topic, which is all thing forages. Yeah, great. So Chris, I just wanted to start uh, with asking Jonathan a question. You know, you get into the Northeast and into your area in particular, Jonathan, and like you mentioned, you work not only as a pioneer field agronomist, but someone as, you know, a dairy specialist in a sense too, of looking at those forages with growers. And I really do like the point that you brought up on uh, your odd and unexplained of, you know, using BMR, what are you looking to do, but also looking at what are you feeding it to? You know, like you said, do you need to be feeding it to heifers? Probably not. Um, so looking at things in that aspect too, not only in the field, but could you just share with, I mean, I'm curious and I'm sure our listeners are, what does a day in the life of a pioneer field agronomist look like uh, when it comes to working with growers and forages? Yeah, sure thing. So I would say the number one thing in the life of a pioneer field agronomist when it comes to working with forages is lots of calls and emails to Bill Mahana and his group. Um, there's a lot of really good support behind myself and our sales reps and everything else. So we do run into some odd things. And yeah, you know, I'm not a technically trained nutritionist, but I uh, maybe sometimes act like one on the farm. And it's because of all the training behind me. But the real thing that makes a lot of sense for me in being in the forages space really comes down to the amount of individual farms that I cover that are dealing with forages, right? Um, we sure have a lot of acres in my area that go to grain. There's no doubt about that. But when you look at the number of operations that are dealing with forages, we're gonna hit forages a lot. Along with that, most of what we're dealing with on a forages side still comes back to simple agronomy. So when we talk about the management of that hybrid in the environment that we're growing it, right, whether it's that drought that I talked about earlier and how that can, that can really adjust our NDF values year to year, um, whether it's simple fertility, you know, to try to maximize the yield off of that and, and uh, maybe even close some of the yield gaps that people feel about certain forages or things along those lines. And then it's just having a general understanding of that farm and, and their overall goals no different than, you know, if I have a farmer that's looking to set a record on yield, uh, my conversation with him on a grain side is very different than the guy that's just, you know, looking to have maybe a little bit of extra yield over all of his acres. Same thing comes to forages, you know, having to know what that producer's end goal is 
and then work through the environmental challenges we have, as well as the management challenges on those farms to maximize the forages for their needs, whether that be high production dairy, you know, heifer raising, beef, all these different things that we see in the Northeast. Yeah, no, those, those are some great points. And I, I really, I don't know, I'm really big on the point that you made about working with your grower and deciding and seeing what they need. You know, that's the most important because like you're saying, I mean, someone who's working for uh, high yield and using it for grain is going to be different management practices than what you might be looking for if you're using it for, you know, a forage um, or a silage. So great points there, Jonathan. Hey, Bill, this question is, is for you. What are some of the major changes that you've seen in the management or and the use of BMR through the uh, most recent years? Well, it's, um, it's exciting to have BMR. Um, Corteva is the only company that is, uh, that is currently selling uh, BMR silage hybrids, but I guess all of the forages are important to us. Corn silage, whether it's BMR or, or it's a standard hybrid, and that's a term we've been using standard as opposed to conventional. When you say conventional, people wonder, are you talking you know, non-GMO or something? So we've been using the term standard. So BMR versus, versus standard corn silage, alfalfa varieties, uh, including Harvextra, which is, gives us uh, high fiber digestibility, just like BMR corn silage. Uh, BMR forage sorghums now in our lineup, inoculants, we're the only major seed company that is basic in inoculants. So all of those products together, you know, make this forage space. And the interesting thing is we've learned a lot. In fact, Pioneer is the first company to introduce um, BMR into Europe. We have just commercialized last year 118 day BMR um, uh, for Italy, uh, Spain and Portugal. Um, the other seed companies that are kind of known by people, they don't play in the, uh, in Europe and in Russia and some of the places that Pioneer do. We're, we're really, my team's a global team because we work in those spaces. Might be interesting to the listeners to know that if you put Europe and Russia together, they have three times more corn silage than what we have here in the United States. So it's an important market and, and we learn things from those folks. When it came to kernel processing, that was done in Europe way before it was done in North America because they have a lot more flint, hard textured hybrids that uh, kernel, kernel textured hybrids that we don't sell. We don't sell flints in North America. So I think with the BMR, um, I think it goes back to what Jonathan was saying about, you know, in, in terms of, you know, looking at, is it something that a grower really needs to consider? Uh, it's certainly come a long ways in terms of the, the fiber digestibility is not as good as it used to be in BMRs, but the plant health and the yield is much, much improved. So it's just like breeding a good cow or breeding a good corn plant. It's a balancing of the different traits. And I think we've made terrific gains in terms of yield, uh, plant health, which, you know, Jonathan's advice and our agronomist advice in terms of things like uh, fertility and use of fungicides and that really help us with that plant health. Um, but I think if we, if we look at that, the, the decision today is, okay, BMRs are out there. Most every nutritionist has experience feeding it. You know, should I consider it or not? And back to Jonathan's point about <clears throat> some of the smaller dairies, perhaps, you know, is there a need for it? Well, if you're feeding a one group TMR and you don't really have the footprint on your operation to have a separate bunker or another tower silo or bag or whatever, you know, you've got to really look at that decision hard and hard and long because you know there is a bit of a yield drag with BMRs uh, that's, that's just the way the fact is today with the current lineup um, so 
but if you're a nutritionist, you don't mind that because you're getting such a bump in intake. BMR basically, so everybody's on the same page, is it, it has lower lignin in the plant, hence the standability issue and why we don't take it for high moisture corn or for grain. But that lower lignin means improved digestibility, so cows eat more of it, uh, and cows eat more, they produce more. So I think it's back to, you know, how, how do we position this? Not every grower needs to plant uh, BMR because our standard hybrids, especially with improved plant health, late season plant health, that fiber digestibility holds quite nicely. And if we've got a dry year, um, the fiber digestibility is gonna be quite high. Um, but for those that are really striving for high intake during that transition period and, and the early lactation group, BMRs, if you can segregate it and feed that as the, as the corn silage source, can really help move the needle in terms of driving intakes and driving production. So I think the, be the best thing, this thing has changed most, I think, Chris, is the fact that we're learning how to, we're learning how to put BMR where it has its biggest impact on the dairy without causing the whole farm too much agronomic risk. So we're always trying, that's what Jonathan spends a lot of time is managing risk. You know, how can we use standard hybrids in conjunction with BMR hybrids so that we manage risk on the whole farm? Yeah, no, those are some amazing points there, Bill. And again, I just keep going back to the point of, you know, I mean, BMR is a great resource. So is our conventional hybrids. So look, talking to a grower and trying to figure out, you know, uh, like what is your best option and taking more things into consideration um, is, is pretty important. Jonathan, I wanted to jump back to you. So you talked about, you know, you have a great support system uh, behind you, such as Bill. Um, and the rest of our Pioneer team. So coming from the crop protection side, I'm still learning you know, about Pioneer and, and the roles that our reps um, and agents play. So I heard something about like certified forage reps. Um, what, is that, what does that mean? Yeah, great question. So we have, we have a group of reps that we call, a certif call certified forage reps. And these reps have, uh, have actually tested into the program. Uh, currently, they're in the process of retesting back into the program. It's been something that's been going on for a while. Um, but they're showing a higher level of not only engagement, but also knowledge to the forage business, right? And as part of that, we, uh, we try to internally support them a, a lot more in the forage space. So folks like Bill Mahanna and his team will, you know, be helping us with some trainings. Um, we have we have certain uh, certain criteria that these reps have to meet with uh, silage plots, silage staging, lots of different things that they're doing to set themselves apart in the forages space. Because one of the interesting sides of this forages space is um, there's a lot of folks in it. But one of the one of the unique things that I think that we're positioned well for, and are especially these certified forage reps, is we have a lot of folks in the field like myself that are doing agronomics and best management of crops and all this stuff. And obviously, there's a huge industry built on the nutritional side. Whenever that feed is in front of the cow, and how do we how do we make that and manage that best? But that leaves this gap, right? It's not just about growing this stuff and then just putting it in front of a cow. There's all this harvesting, storage, all these other things. And that's where we train these reps to try to almost, in a sense, have this handoff, right? Taking really good quality stuff that's been grown in the field and handing that over through harvest, through storage, through all these feed out techniques to the nutritionist to balance that ration and make as much milk and thus as much profit 
for that farm as possible. And I think that's one of the cool things that I get excited about with, with our whole team is, you know, I, I personally believe we're unmatched in that between the forages we have, the inoculants we have, and then the knowledge surrounding all of that. And then a great team like we've got out there in, in Johnston and, and really all over with some dairy specialists and other things that we can bounce ideas off of and, and understand how to hand this off to nutritionists. It's just a really exciting spot to be. Let me jump in there because um, that's one of the things that my team works with very closely is, is trying to interact with nutritionists. Um, as you can imagine, many of our, even our certified sales reps are really strong in agronomy and, and product knowledge, which is extremely important for positioning products correctly. But they can be a little intimidated when it comes to talking to a PhD nutritionist or a DVM veterinarian working with an account. So that's where we try to be a resource um, to, our, to our certified sales reps. And we have compiled what we call the Pioneer Silage Zone which really to, to Jonathan's point, there, there is no other seed company that has taken such a stance in the industry in terms of having knowledge from the plant, grow, harvest, store, and feed. You know, Jonathan's expertise is on the plant and grow and, and in the harvest. Mine, mine begins in the harvest and, and works through the store and feeding. So as a team, we're able to provide this kind of, of information to our growers and, and to the nutritionists. Um, we spend a lot of time, just a small little point that might be interesting back to what Jonathan said about, you know, comparing a hybrid year to year, you, you, it's, that's not a fair thing to do. Um, it's also, if you look at the nutritional analysis that, that are provided, you know, if you can take a BMR sample and send it to the lab and a standard corn silage sample and send it to the lab, they could come back with the absolute same NDF digestibilities because they're both run in a test tube where they can't go anywhere or it's an NIR calibration based upon the wet chemistry approach. They can't go anywhere. But so on the on paper it looks well this standard hybrid has the same NDF digestibility as a BMR. Why should I be planting the BMR? Well it doesn't act the same way in the cow because of the fragility of the cell wall in the BMR because of the lower lignin. What happens is that feed will exit the rumen forcing then the cow will eat more every day. So, you know, sometimes you can look at things on paper, but you have to have that practical experience that the nutritionists bring, that hopefully my team can help bring as a resource to say, well, how, yeah, this is what it looks like on paper, but what does it do in the real world? So those are the kind of things that we try to help our growers out with. That's awesome. Now, this is so interesting to me too, because, you know, I'm still learning about BMR and, you know, different hybrids and stuff. So that's, that's pretty cool. Um, I worked at a dairy in high school and holy buckets, I had no idea that, you know, there's this entire other end of it, you know, like they would go out and harvest and everything and, you know, I'd help, you know, shovel silage and whatnot, but I just, no idea, you know, I guess you don't know what you don't know, so. One, one thing too is we're talking about Jonathan's role as an agronomist or my role as a leading a nutritional team, but you know, the best ideas always come from the grassroots, always come from our customers and always come from the reps. In fact, we have a program, a silage staging program where we can on Pioneer Hybrids predict when that hybrid will reach half milk line. And that's a big value. Not that we have the day down to the exact day that it's going to happen, but if we've got a guy that's got 20 fields he's got to harvest, we can kind of give him an idea of the sequence of fields for harvesting. That's a really valuable piece of information and that whole idea really generated and it was tested by one of our sales reps. So 
it's it's a two-way street in terms of not only are, are we learning from our reps and learning the needs of our customers so and, and then we're trying to to meet those needs so it's a back and forth certainly I had uh, one question for you, Jonathan. If, if we've got a dairy that has always grown standard hybrids and is thinking about BMR, what, what would you say to them um, and how would you suggest that they try it? Yeah, great idea, Chris. So this always comes down to what does, the, what does that dairy have available to them? But I will tell you, by and large, the easiest way to ever do a field trial with any forage is if they have access to a bag, right? Um, one of the nice parts about a bag is not only uh, does the forage pretty much stay where it's at, you know, if you think about a bunker or a pile or something like that, this stuff's layered. So it's really hard to take, you know, a small amount of acreage and know when you're gonna hit that. But, you know, I even have producers that do this every year, regardless of what they're feeding. Every single time they, they change a field or change a hybrid, they just mark right on that bag where they're at, right? And then you just keep on packing in. Guys try to do this with uprights. It's a whole lot harder to try to mark exactly where you're at in an upright, but on those bags. So I do have guys that say, you know, I'd really like to try this, but, but what am I going to do? And that's where I always go is go out, find somebody that's got a custom bag that you can lay something out, you can mark it. Um, and then the other part of it that, that is such a huge challenge on a dairy farm is dairies are very fluid, right? Um, you have different days in milk with cows. You have have rations changing all the time. And so I always challenge guys to try to look for a period of time that historically they've been relatively stable in milk production and utilize that as a time to move into this BMR because the more of those variables are going up and down, the less likely you're to ever have an idea. Did I really do something here or not? So those would be a couple of the tips if, if guys are thinking about trying something out that I'd throw out. I'd like to add on to that just a little bit. One of the issues we get into is people may not realize that over time in storage, due to the fermentation process on the kernels, the amount of starch that's digested by that rumen in the cow goes up over time. And obviously, if you've got more starch digestibility, that's going to influence pr productivity of that animal. Well, we've had situations where people want to compare, um, say, a standard hybrid right after it was harvested and then they'll compare they'll use that for a while and then they'll switch into a bmr later on and it could be that the fiber digestibility had nothing to do with the response it could be just that the bmr has been in fermented storage longer the starch availability is higher over time and that could be impacting it so it is as jonathan said it's a very complex thing um, field trials are very, very difficult to do on farm in terms of productivity of the animals. I think field trials in terms of looking at yield in the field is probably just a little bit easier, although we do know that there's a tremendous amount of variability in yield due to soil types, uh, water holding capacity of the soil, fertility, et cetera, et cetera. Those are all really good points. Um, we're, uh, we could probably talk about this for, for an extremely long amount of time because it's all extremely interesting. But to wrap it up, I was just taking notes as you guys were talking. Um, you know, I think what I got from that is to, to make sure that you're figuring out what's going to work best for your farm um, and for your operation. And then to also make sure that you're always trying new things, trying to figure out how you can improve. 
um, and trying to figure out how your operation can improve. That's always a key for us to always make sure we're doing better. And also, uh, you know, contacting your local Pioneer rep because there's a good chance that they're a certified forages rep and they're going to be able to bring you that knowledge base uh, that nobody else in the industry can bring. So those are all good points. Is there anything else you guys would like to add? I would say that um, mentioning the Pioneer Silage Zone, we have a, a small booklet, manual, if you will, that covers all of those points of the silage zone. So if, uh, if the listeners would like to have a copy of that, tell them to uh, approach their certified forage rep with Pioneer and we can get a copy of that silage zone manual to them. Great point. All good stuff. Um, Thanks for everybody for joining us and your insight today was uh, definitely invaluable. Um, well, now we've now reached the point to where we go on to our weekly watch out. Each week we ask an agronomist to uh, give us something that we should make sure that our growers are looking for over the next seven to 14 days. Jonathan? Yeah, so real quick on here, I was talking with one of my agronomists earlier, um, I think it was uh, a week and a half ago, and just sharing some notes on some things. And, and he talked about a experience he had on a farm where they were running into some real performance issues. And quick story is that they walk it back and they find out that most all of these performance issues had to deal with a poorly calibrated lime spreader. And this is the time of year where a lot of guys are out, you know, at least thinking about getting into the spring and applying fertility, if not doing some lime amendments or you know, depending on where you're at, you know, if you can haul some manure or do some things like this. And it just brings up the point that, you know, all of our intentions are great, but we need to actually go and do what we intended. In this point, uh, this person applied enough lime to the field, but that lime was not distributed well. And, and if you think about it, this, the idea of yield and consistency, and especially in forages, consistency is really important that, that plant doesn't care about, you know, the pH or the potassium level 10 feet away from it. It only cares about right where it's sitting. And if we have a poorly calibrated sprayer or spreader or even manure spreaders, things like this, and we're not distributing those nutrients uh, well to those plants across, we're going to have a lack of consistency. And especially on the forages side, like we're talking today, that's not only a lack in yield, but it can also change the nutritional value of that and just you know, lead to a lot of headaches down the road. So as guys are starting to think about getting out in the field and doing lime amendments or getting planned for you know, the spring, start thinking about actually calibrating those things. Um, if, you if you need help on that, you, know, you can talk, contact any of your local Pioneer sales reps, um, get in contact with myself or, or others that can tell you exactly how to get that calibrated well. Great point, Jonathan. We're about to start a new year here, and it starts with our, our first pass across that field. So when you're going out there and spreading, you need to make sure that you are, are spreading that consistently across the field. Like Bill mentioned earlier, we have enough inconsistencies in, in the soil types throughout the field. We don't need more inconsistencies out there. So we need to try to be as consistent as we can to make sure we're starting the year off well. Well, thank you all for joining us today on the North on the Pioneer Northeast Agronomy podcast. If you have any questions regarding Pioneer Forges, contact your local Pioneer sales rep or go to pioneer.com. Tune in next time when we discuss another timely agronomic topic and be sure to follow Jonathan Rotz on Twitter at Rotz Jonathan. That's R O T Z J O N A T H A N. 
and look for his timely agronomic videos on the Pioneer YouTube channel. Search Pioneer Agronomy Northeast on your podcast app for more insights and solutions fueled by future thinking farming. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you for listening to this episode from the Pioneer Agronomy team. Be sure to visit pioneer.com backslash podcasts to access additional episodes and learn more about our extensive on-farm data and innovative digital tools that are fueling forward-thinking farming.